Iowa everywhere. We recommend listening to the CW Pod with a glass of Steeple Ridge bourbon. Mm. Grown, distilled, well-rested, and bottled in Erling, Iowa. Now, from the Channel Seed Studios, this is the CW Pod, fueled by Steeple Ridge. Oh boy, it's starting to get to be bourbon season, baby. Get a little chill in the air. We'll warm up a little Steeple Ridge. Welcome to CW Pod Week 2. Week 1 of the NFL season and post-Cyhawk, I thought it would be appropriate to get one Sage Rosenfels in to pick his brain on bad offenses and good quarterbacking in the NFL. How are you, my long-lost brother? We're, we're, you're you in Omaha right now? Uh, yes, I'm in Omaha, um, ready to start the week. It's nice that school's back in and there's a little bit more of a regular schedule and, uh, you know, life's back to normal for me, I guess, which is still, I travel so much and I travel around and I was in Europe for a couple of weeks, uh, this summer, a couple of weeks ago, bringing my son over to a semester in Bonn, Germany. Uh, so, you know, you have to go over like 10 days before to drop him off. Right. So, oh, so uh, he's, he's living there now. For a while, he's living well. He goes to school at Loyola Marymount in Los Angeles, and then he's doing his senior year fall semester abroad. And at his school, there's lots of options, but this is for the business college. This is their main option, which is in Bonn, Germany. He's not actually at a college; it's like a program. So he has Got some it. professors, professor from his college, and then he has uh, professors that are like German professors over there. So uh, he's a business major, international business, and so this is a, a great experience for him. So. That was fun cool. bringing him over there, but I'm, I'm excited that I said school is sort of back in and and life is a little bit more regular. Uh, summer's a, a bit uh, a bit wild as far as uh, my my schedule and and I'm on the move and I haven't done a podcast since probably I don't know what, what, April. You're or, get back or into May. it. I had people it's asking me, and I was like, Sage will listen. Sage is going to show up when Sage wants to show up, and when he when he does, he's going to bring it. I need to, I need to show up. So I need to get it on my schedule and, and start doing it once a week. I really enjoyed it. You know, I was going about once a week, maybe other, maybe every other week there for most of last year. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. It was a great time for me to catch up. It, it, I would go through my phone and be like, hmm, who do I want to talk to that I haven't talked to in 10 years? And then I would get them on the, uh, on the pod. So that was really enjoyable, but uh, um, I don't know why I stopped. I just, stopped so I, I i thoroughly enjoy it and uh you pay so well i mean um it really adds to my retirement which is great you know it'd be so. great if you'd fill out your forms when we send them <laughs> my over w2 or 1099 or whatever send, <laughs> we send sage a form and he just doesn't send it back yeah you know uh well, buy me dinner that's probably the better way to pay <laughs> me <laughs> handle that uh, how about yeah. a bottle of uh, Steeple Ridge bourbon? I think you'd like. Yeah, that. how about a case? How about a case uh, after the yeah. Iowa State? They, uh, they really do the make. They make good stuff. I got to take you out to the Hoffman Farm out there. Some, you, this yeah. is something that a guy like you would really like. Everything from their bourbon, from the water to the grains to everything, is made right there on their farm in a small you know, town they, in when, Iowa. When I, and I was in Europe, uh, I went from Venice to um, you know, Lake Como up through Switzerland and ended in Amsterdam. And one thing that I hear from people is that their water is different over there in the sense of not, you know, that they have different like regulations on what can be put in water. And of course, different regulations on what can be put on like the soil for farming. And that has a big impact on how like water tastes and how beer or whiskey and things uh, uh come out on the other end right um so uh that, that is it that i found that i found that interesting they have, they have different sort of europe regulations over there that are more strict than in the united states and so that's why sometimes things like wine tastes different uh sometimes like french wine or italian wine is tastes different than california wines so you know I'm looking forward to tasting this bourbon, I, though. I have heard people say when they go to Europe that the food is just so much like less processed, and it's just like a different experience. You're just you're, they come back and their body just feels better. Yeah, I've heard that too, and I think all just all the walking. The United States is so big, and we're so spread out that you like yeah. have to have a car to live, and 
there things are so compact. I mean, you can be in one major city and another major city is two hours away. And so people train it more and the cities are just so much more dense because they were built pre-car. Mm -hmm. uh, and most of the United States cities were sort of built and grew post-car uh, when they were invented. And so, you mm -hmm. know, you couldn't have suburbs back in 1700 or 1800. There was just no way. And, and we've sort of created a, a, a civilization here in the U.S. where everyone wants to have a house and everyone want, needs to have a car to have a house. And, and that's sort of the way we do it. But it means you're in your house, you're in your car, you're at your work or school, you're back in your car and you're back in your house and you're, you're not walking uh, nearly enough. So uh, probably another reason that uh, we're a little bit bigger here than they are over here. <laughs> let's uh um let's get to the Seahawk game now you watched it on tv right i don't, I don't oh, know no, i was there oh you made it okay yeah yeah normally when you're there you send me a text and we get together yeah uh drove over well it was a, it was a quick day drove over from omaha here saturday morning um did you get stuck in bit. traffic no uh no it wasn't bad uh i got there by 11 15 i think um uh, I like the tailgate uh, with, you know, Ryan Harklaw, who does the, of course, the sideline yep. stuff. Uh, uh, his dad, his parents have had an RV since I was in school. And I didn't know this at the time, but that RV traveled to every away game and all the parents, my parents and the other parents, uh, sort of our of our uh, class, they that became like the the hub of where everyone met up. So people would park in different spots and then meet up at the Harklaw's RV. And that still sort of is the tradition that cool. we have. So I see a lot of the same guys I played college football with. It's, it's our, it's our meeting spot. And it's in the course, it's in the RV uh, park over there on the East side. And we took the, the bridge over and uh, you know, went, went to the, to the game with that experience. So I sat on the West side in the shade uh, you, you know, those early games, you got to be strategic of where you get your seats, especially, you know, if you don't have season tickets, uh, especially if you have kids who don't want to be staring at the sun. So that east side was looking right into the sun, I would assume, most of the second half. We were on the west side and had a great view of the game. And uh, it wasn't very fun to, as, an, as a quarterback and as an offensive guy. It wasn't yeah. a great game to watch. Well, I knew going into it, we all knew it was going to be a slog of a football game. You just yeah. It was very easy to predict, I guess. My overall question is, um, you know, Iowa State's offense, you could tell that Northern Iowa game, I mean, they were just trying to run the clock out, basically. You only got off 45 plays. Like, they were not – it was just hard to get a lot from it. Um, what, where are you at on this 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 new offense? I don't know if i call it new. It doesn't really look a lot different with Nate Shieldhouse running it. But where – I guess how optimistic or pessimistic are you heading into the rest of the season? Because and you talked about it with like Chad Greenway last year on your podcast. Like I was just different than anything you see the rest of the year. It's why like you know I would have liked to have seen him play better, but I also wasn't panicking after the game because I I think that what Oklahoma State's going to look like a lot different than what Iowa will look like, and I kind of want to take a little time to see. But what what did you think overall? The offense to me looked pretty similar to the past offenses. Uh, I know Shieldhouse was the running backs coach, run game coordinator, uh, past couple of years, and now is the OC. And of course, Matt Campbell uh, seems like to, I, I feel like he's involved with the offense. Um, so, for a lot of, from what I saw, you saw a lot of those sort of tight end shifts, fullback shifts. Uh, wide receiver motions over and a lot of the similar plays we saw in the past. Um, I haven't watched the film from uh, details of the O-line and is, you know, is the O-line coach better than before? That I can't tell. I did watch the first game on film um, and that's where I started going into it. I was like, oh, it looks, looks pretty similar to two years past. Um, I thought Rocco, I know he had a pick six. I thought he played pretty dang good in that game. Uh, you know, yeah. you only can do what, you're offered and, you know, they're not asking him to throw deep post routes and, um, you know, a lot of goal balls, but for, for the most part, he's extremely accurate and um, didn't have a great running game to, to help him out. Um, didn't have a ton of time always back there. So I, I thought he did his job. He throws a great ball. Uh, it's, it's tight, uh, tight spiral and spins and pretty dang accurate. And again, you know, he, he had that pick six, but, it's hard when you're a quarterback and you're asked to, I don't know how many times you threw the ball in that game, 44, 30, 44 times. And you, you make one and real bad mistake and that's, that's the key. Nine drops. 
Nine drops. Yeah. So That's, that was the part to me. And I, I, I don't know if it would have mattered, but I think it would have in the sense that like it got that game turned into such a like Iowa State didn't do anything for the longest. The first drive they did, they went down the field, blocked field goal. Um, but like I just because you couldn't run the ball 2.8 yards per carry like it was non-existent. A lot of those drops. To my amateur mind, they, they looked like they were trying to supplement the running game. I mean, they were just really short crossing pass. They didn't throw downfield at all. No. You know, and probably smart against that Iowa defense, to be honest. Uh, yeah. We've seen way more mature quarterbacks than Rocco Beck lose their mind against Phil Parker. They but, the the Iowa defense forever. It's funny. I played golf last week with a with a with Todd Doxson, whose son's on the team. Yep. And Todd Todd actually called that first game uh, against Northern Iowa. Uh, he did the color, uh, and we played golf the other day. And the Iowa guy, he was a defensive back. Uh, you know, he's probably thirty five now, and he was like, and he played for the Parker. Uh, you know, the Parker uh, uh, family and and he's like, they're, they're still playing the exact same coverage that we played cover for probably 80% of the game. And that cover for it is hard to throw the ball down the field um, because it's sort of four deep guys and keep everything in front of you. Uh, but yet those safeties are, are um, they want to get up in the box and, and stop the run. And so in some ways you sort of have nine guys in the box but yet you're sort of preventing, you know, deeper throws and they, they keep the ball uh, in front of you. So that first drive was nice. I mean, you have to be patient against that type of defense and you have to execute at a high level. And I think the Kirk Ferentz and the Parkers uh, over the years have known, like, it's just hard for 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds to execute on 14, 15 play drives. And I would say did a pretty good job uh, the first drive. And of course, the second to last drive, they did a great job just methodically working the way down the field. But, um, you know, as, as we saw sort of at the end, man, I think took so much time that second to last drive. I, I saw Campbell's response uh, as far as, you know, you, you, you got to execute and sort of have one really good drive to put yourself in position. But um, it took so much time and, and uh, that, that's what they, they just sort of bleed you to death defensively. Uh, and, and a lot of times young, young players, they, they drop a pass. They, you know, they, they make a mistake and offensive lineman whiffs on the block and the quarterback throws the ball, to the other team, that's, that's their goal. And they've been doing it for a long, long time. And, and the Hawkeye defense has had a ton of success uh, doing that. Yeah. Former Iowa player. I was having a similar conversation last week and his, his theory on the defense and Phil Parker's theory is that he just doesn't believe that most college quarterbacks can be patient for that long. Yeah, the the, the old Tampa there. Bay, the old Tampa Bay, that Tampa two, yep. everyone probably heard about back oh, yeah. in the days, right? The two, you're probably the two thousands, really. When I was in the NFL, I would say from my rookie year two thousand one to maybe like two thousand eight, nine, ten, you saw a lot of teams. <clears throat> I don't know, maybe a third or half the NFL teams that that was definitely a part of their package, and the whole point was teams are just not going to go 15 plus plays and score a touchdown on you. So they might go fit 15 plays, but we're going to hold them out of the end zone. They're going to kick field goals. And, um, and it's just very hard to get big plays against. There's just no uh, uh, big plays against those types of teams. And it just, it ke- again, it keeps the ball in front. Everyone on the defense uh, in the secondary and the linebackers are always sort of had their eyes on the quarterback and, uh, so you just don't – you have a lot of helmets attacking the football, which means usually turnovers. You have three or four guys uh, attacking a, some sort of shallow crossing route. At, at some point, that ball will come out. And so that bend-don't-break defense is, is very, very effective. Um, it's not – it makes for sometimes boring football games, but it's worked in the Big Ten for a long time with with Iowa defense. And, it's, you know, it's not like they have a bunch of first-round draft picks over there, but yet they've got a very efficient defense and – and Iowa State, uh, they, they struggled, you know, most of that game, uh, all but really two drives of, of really moving the ball consistently against it. And and and, and per the, you know, Phil Parker's uh, design, uh, at, you know, Iowa would drop or Iowa State would drop a pass here and there or we would miss a block here and there or a run would be for a negative four. And you just can't make up for it. And and uh, it, it's hard. It's hard to execute at a high level uh, with, with college football players against that style of defense. 
I think, and I want to pick your brain on what you saw from Iowa's offense too, but kind of to wrap up Iowa State. So I guess my fear, and I don't know, I don't want to overreact because again, Iowa's just so different. Okay, but my fear after watching the first few games is, man, like one the the running the ball, they didn't really run it consistently against Northern Iowa either, and and two, it's like the the downfield thing. Like I just I think that tight end from your neck of the woods in Nebraska is going to be really good, Bramer. Um, fascinating, Sage, if you watch the tape, watch that they Iowa was spying Cooper DeGene on him mm. in the second half, which that tells you if Phil Parker's doing that with his All-American corner, tells you two things. One, they didn't really have a lot of respect for the Iowa State wide receivers. And two, it's like that guy stood out to them in week one. Um but, you know, I, Iowa State just really – I didn't even know. Like, there there were a couple times where Iowa State's, you know, young running backs would just run behind the line of scrimmage and get tackled, and all of a sudden it's second and 14 or whatever. And it's like, yeah. what's your downfield plays? Like, and I, I don't – it's not really the quarterback. I feel like he can probably throw that pass. It's just – I don't. it seems like such a sideline-to-sideline side offense right now. Do you – you are, you, are, you are right. It, it is a sideline to sideline offense. They run laterally. And now everyone knows running up the middle versus Iowa is like impossible. Um, yeah. That's like, that's yeah. like their strength. So you have to run sort of outside zone or sweep, you know, type plays to get around uh, the way they cog the middle of the field. Uh, and then Iowa State's offense, the passing game is more silent to sideline with some go routes on the outside when they get the right look, but they, they just don't throw a lot of post routes. Now in quarters defense, cover four defense, You'd like to suck up those safeties with some sort of play action or even a receiver or a tight end running in their direction and then have a post going on the outside. And we just don't seem to do that. Uh, we don't seem to sort of have those shots. And um, I saw in the NFL a ton yesterday. Kirk Cousins threw a post route for a touchdown versus cover four. Um, it doesn't seem like it's a big part of our offense. So we're not designing things to attack at least that cover four uh, coverage. I, I just don't see a lot of post routes in general. Uh, for this Iowa State offense connecting. I did did think that that first drive was was fascinating to me. They went after Iowa's weak spots pretty effectively. They put a lot on the quarterback, which I didn't think that they would. Um, But that's also where it's all scripted out. Like, you know, you know exactly what you're doing going into that one. And here's where I'm at. Like, I, I do think that it's usually somewhere that you're not as bad as you look or you're not as good as you look, right? That's what coaches tell me at least. How much faith do you have that in the next – I think the next two weeks are critical for this program right now. With, I mean, you're only a two-point favorite at Ohio. You have to win that game, assuming you do. You know, this, this Oklahoma State team is very beatable coming in in two weeks. You could be three and one and in a really good spot. You really yeah. could. Like, Or, I mean, like, man, if you lose one of the next two, like, wouldn't say the wheels are falling off, but then there, there's a lot of questions, right? And I guess where do you, where are you at? What's your faith level on this offense right now that it turns around to some? It doesn't have to be top twenty five, but they need it to be better than one hundred and twenty five. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's what's hard is the defense looks great. Um, they look like they've looked for for years now. Is just this attacking defense that's multifaceted and. Um, you know, they just do a fantastic job. And even when there are big plays, they, they make a tackle, then they hold, they held Iowa to a field goal, you know, multiple times. And they just did a great job of keeping them out of the end zone for the most part. And, and I, so you, you sit there and you've got this great defense, which is interesting because if you go through the history of Iowa state football, at least in like sort of the modern era, the Dan McCartney and beyond era, our defense has always been a struggle. It's been hard to recruit, you know, top defensive linemen, uh, and, and, and super fast, you know, DBs that are going to get drafted. That's always been like a weakness. This, those types of athletes are not in the Midwest all that often. But offensively, you could get offensive linemen, course quarterbacks, um, you know, tight ends. You can you could get those players. And so I always felt like Iowa State's offense was always a little bit ahead of their defense for all those years. And then Campbell came in, and it seemed like the defense, especially the last four or five years, has been – a really big strength. And I mean, last year, the best 
defense in the Big 12 Conference. You know, we're playing against schools with first rounders all over the place on defense. Mm -hmm. And of course, we had Will McDonald, but we haven't had those types of athletes in the past. And, And here we are as a team, the best defense, one of the best defenses really in the country. But the offense has really taken sort of a backseat to that. So uh, I, I don't know if the word is discouraged, but man, it's it, it's tough for me as a as a quarterback, as like an offensive guy, to see you know my school with yeah. an offense that has struggled now multiple years in a row. And you know, I uh, when Brock Purdy was playing, I was like, man, Purdy is is exceptional out there. I I know it doesn't look great; he might throw an interception or two in a game, but I feel like he's scrambling and making things happen. And, and when he does make throws are pretty dang accurate. And I just know like when I was 20 years old, I wasn't playing that well. <laughs> you know, I wasn't out there uh, uh, hitting tight ends on dime routes, you know, to, to, on 20 yard routes down the, the seam very often, you know, it was running game. It was bootleg. It was some simple play actions and then some three steps. And the, you know, they ask a lot of their quarterbacks that, you know, for, uh, a young guy like Rocco to throw 44 balls against one of the best defenses in the country is asking a lot for a young quarterback. And so uh, it is, it, it, it's, it's, it's weird for me to, to have such a great defense and be relying on the defense and have an offense that just seems like it's behind. One of the things that they do do a nice job of is, you know, by, by the way, they formation things, they, they put tight ends and things on the outside sometimes, which allows your, receivers to have good matchups on Iowa's linebackers. You saw that time and time again, you would see us spread them out. And then the, you know, the sort of the five yard or seven yard out routes by those slot receivers and, and cover four, the basically the will linebacker has to cover a wide receiver. Well, that's a great matchup for Iowa state. And we took advantage of that all day, but they end up being five yard and six yard gains. And, you know, uh, th- those don't go very far. They're, they're nice, they're nice plays, but they're not get, they're not home runs and they're not, uh, they're not big plays. And at some point you do have to make big plays. You have to make a couple of big plays in, in a college football game. You have to have these explosive plays that are 20, 25 yards. You know, we used to have explosive plays that they were 15 plus on a, on a running play. That's an explosive mm-hmm. play on a passing play. They had to be 20, 25 plus. You yeah, need 20, I think you, you need a half dozen of those or so in a football game. And, um, we just really struggled to get anything like that down the field. But again, that that's that defense is designed to keep everything in front and minimize those, those explosives. And it's just it's hard to be a powerful offense without explosive plays. Circus Sports Iowa is a uh, proud sponsor of Iowa Everywhere. I uh, went three and two in one of my millions this week, and Hassel and I are struggling. We got another game tonight on Monday Night Football. We'll tell you all about it on Thursday. Uh, remember to download that Circus Sports Iowa app if you haven't already. We are in the Channel Seed Studios here on the CW Pod, which is presented by Steeple Ridge Bourbon, baby. It's good stuff. Get out, out there. Get really uh, supporting a good local company. My guy, Pat Hoffman, shout out to him and his beautiful wife. Really good friends uh, for a long time and supporters of what I do, and I appreciate their sponsorship so much. The Iowa Offense Sage, and then I want to pick your brain on a couple of NFL storylines. It really doesn't look any different to me uh, with Cade McNamara as the quarterback. He's just so much better than what Spencer Petrus was. Yeah. I, I thought McNamara played pretty well. He, he throws a nice ball. Uh, he was generally on time. Um, he hit the plays they needed to hit. Uh, he missed He missed one. We had a receiver wide open, had, a, had the Iowa State DB uh, burnt by, by four or five yards. But for the most part, you know, the, 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 the hit a couple of play actions where we hit uh, what made a tight end sort of down the middle. Um, he did a nice job managing that football game. But, you know, it's it's the same Iowa offense from what I saw, just with a, a better trigger man that I think will be will be better for Iowa for the season. I mean, he's definitely an upgrade. He, he throws a spinning ball. It sort of throws a sidearm a little and bit. He's not even I, healthy right now either. That's OK. He's yeah, got a so deal he's dealing with. So he, he did what he needed to do, which was manage the football game. I mean, it was that was managing football right there. Stayed away from mistakes, had his running game, and just relied on his defense and did enough uh, to win the game. But but the, the, but the shots that were there that he took for the most part, he he connected on, and and that's what you have to do. You may only get one or two. Uh, times where you get the exact right defense for the play called as far as taking one shot down the field. And, and you know, Iowa State on third and ones, they get aggressive. Those safeties really get up in there. 
mm-hmm. and leaves those sort of safety, the, the, you know, the, the third safety a lot of times, just one-on-one with the tight end with no help. And uh, they did a nice job of connecting on, on those couple of plays. But uh, to me, the Iowa offense will probably, probably be the same Iowa offense or very similar, at least as far as conference and national rankings is concerned when it's all said and done. Now they may end up eight and four again, but my guess is the Iowa right. offense will be, you know, hundredth in the country and the Iowa defense will be 15th in the country. And that's I think where it's been the last so many years. I think they're 10 and two. I thought Saturday's game was critical for them. Uh, I just, I thought it was a bad spot, you know, um, just felt like Iowa state was due to get one in Ames and Iowa state made the big mistake. You just, you can't throw a pick six against them. You can't have the block field goal against them. I think I was in a really good spot going forward for, I mean, for the, most of it, for most of the game uh, until that second to last drive where we scored the touchdown. I mean, in a sense, our, our offense was, uh, was losing to itself three to seven. We'd scored yeah. three points and we'd give well, them seven. I thought too, I will. I refuse to criticize John Haycock. He's forgotten more about the game than I'll ever know. I thought Iowa State would bring more pressure early. That he really, he does this all the time. I've interviewed him about it. He feels people out the first couple of possessions, sees if he can get pressure with three. Uh, I thought with McNamara's injury, they would bring linebackers and safeties immediately. Maybe not safeties because I thought they would be occupied with the tight ends. But once once Haycock made that shift in the second quarter, Iowa really sands a really good drive. They had that killer drive in the third quarter that really ended the game. Um, but I, I I don't know. I'm I still think Iowa State's six and six, and I'm I'm not really optimistic about the offense. I just think you have a kicker now, and with that defense, like they're just going to be in all these games. It's just like last year. The offense was bad last year, and they. And you miss kicks, and you you know you turn the ball. I don't think they'll turn it over as much this year. I think they'll be in these games. But do you do you agree with that? I think we're going to be in a lot of games, and it's a long season. Uh, you know the old Mike Shashesky. I, I I texted Kevin Stefanski this morning. He's the Browns head coach. You know, of course they got Dude, a huge I, win yesterday. I am just and, a fanboy of Kevin Stefanski. If you <laughs> if you could get me like a Kevin Stefanski like autographed like helmet, like I wanted to trade Mike Zimmer back in the day so we could upgrade Stefanski to be the From head coach. From offensive coordinator. To I just love him. He, he's, I, I love everything about him, how he built himself up in the industry. He's, he's, he's self-made. I love the guy. So, yeah, you could get me that for Christmas. Thanks. Uh, he's self-made, but, but like, you know, we love meritocracy in the United States. We act like everything's a meritocracy, but – to get your foot in the door in the NFL, a lot of times you have to have some sort of little in, right? And and his in was his dad. Eddie Stefanski is like a 30-year NBA executive. Oh, and for I didn't a long know that. time he was the Philadelphia 76ers uh general manager, president and general manager. Well, Brad Childress, of course, worked for Andy Reid for a long time. So yeah. uh, when he's the okay. head coach of the Vikings and he gets a phone Very call cool. from Eddie Stefanski, hey, my son would, would like to be an NFL coach. And, and Brad made him the basically like a water his, boy. Ba- right? Well, not a water boy, but he was basically Brad's personal assistant, not like his secretary in the office, but like out of practice. The head coach needs anything. You know, he gets a text from his brother, you know, hey, I'm coming to town. He'll he'll say this, you know, Kevin, Brad Childress would say to Kevin Stefanski, hey, I need, need a need a hotel for my brother. And Kevin would just go make it happen. Right. So his job Understood. was was sort of just to do all the things that a, your your traditional assistant so secretary. You've but then but then but then he worked his way up from there. Right. Then after yeah. doing that for a year or two, now he's like offensive quality control working with the line It's like, you know. Basically, his job is just to do the the work, but not actually coach. Like you're not really a coach. You're not a coach when you're quality control. You're you're doing the dirty work for the the actual. Position yeah, you're coaches. like cutting up film, and you're yeah. That's right. Yeah, creating uh, uh, the, the 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 play sheet of how practice goes, and make sure it's all printed up correctly. That you know the offensive coordinator throws to you like, hey, hey print this up and make copies and laminate them so we all have them for practice. Right. That, that, you're doing that type of work. You were on that Childress Vikings team, right? So that you knew Stefanski when he was just getting started. That's right. So he was, he was the assistant quarterbacks coach, really quality control in our offensive room. So Kevin Rogers, uh, who was our quarterbacks coach, 
Um, Daryl Bevel was the OC and then Kevin was in the back of the room, you know, with Favre and, and Tavares Jackson and, my, and myself. And so I've known him since he was sort of the what nobody. A what a, Honestly, what a, Sage, what a year, 2009. It was quite the Sage, year. Travaris Jackson and Brett Favre. I mean, yeah. it's, it's fucking incredible. Just knowing, knowing Favre now, now that the, the end of the spectrums yeah. of where Brett and I are, just <laughs> and like I, I just, who we are. Yeah, I know we're you both, we're so well, the, but we're both in the country too. We're both like yeah. small and then, towns, sort of. And then you chuck in Travaris, the you know the the second coming of Christ, Travaris Jackson, yeah, who's supposed to be the savior for Vikings football. Oh man, Didn't work out. Um, so anyway, <laughs> Kevin, w- Kevin worked his way up. And then at some point, you know, when I was gone, he got a, uh, you know, I think running backs coach job, then tight ends coach job, and then quarterbacks coach job, and then OC. And then he gets made the, the head coach. I, I, you know, anyway, I texted him, uh, because they're one and oh, with a huge win against the Bengals. Right. But at the it's end of the day, him. it's, it's 17 regular season games. And I texted him a, a great Mike Krzyzewski quote, and that's going to, go back to what we were talking about with Iowa state and Iowa is a season is a lifetime. Every single season is its own lifetime, right? You have different people, different coaches, different opponents. Uh, You're sort of, you're born, you live, you, you have ups and you have downs and and it comes to an end at the end of the season. And so it's, it's a mix of a race and a marathon at the same time. And, you know, with Iowa and Iowa State, we're, we're two games in here. And so there's a lot left we, that we will have to just see. I, I do agree with you that we're going to be in 95% of the ball games this year and, and have a chance to win, you know, all of them probably. We'll probably have a chance to win the vast majority of the games this year. Whether we do or whether we don't has a lot to do with, I think, how our offense uh, yeah. uh, executes as they go with a young quarterback and young running backs and uh, just new pieces out there. Every single season's different. And so, you know, as this offense grows and changes, I, I hope it does continue to evolve. Uh, we'll see. I, I promise you at week, what do they do? 13 weeks in college football, you know, week 10, 12, 30, you know, uh, 13, they are, it's not going to be, it shouldn't be the same offense that it is now. It should grow. It should change. Uh, some young athletes that we didn't have even seen yet might start popping in a little bit. Um, there might be an alignment change here and there. There's going to be injuries. You just can't really predict the future. And uh, so I like us in, you know, I said, have a chance to win uh, all these football games, but We'll see. We'll see what out happens. Steve Loney, my my OC when I was at Iowa State, his line for us that entire senior year, my entire senior year in two thousand, uh, was the difference between four and seven, and seven and four, is so small that if you blink, you'll miss it. So we just can't blink. And I think that is the you know eight and four and four and eight actually is just a couple games. It's a couple field goals. It's a couple stops. It's a couple turnovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that whole lifetime, there's really only maybe ten plays that can completely change the outlook of your entire season. And, and for Iowa State, they need to make those plays this year uh, and and come out and, and and get to a bowl game. And I, I think they can. I think they have the players. I really liked Rocco. I thought he did a great job. I know he threw that pick six. I thought he did a great job in that game for a young guy. I think he's mobile. I think he's accurate. I think he's got a definitely a strong enough arm. Um, but he can't do it all himself. You know, to ask a, a young quarterback to throw 44 passes against the Iowa Hawkeye defense and think you're no going to win a lot man. of those games, that's that that's tough to do. And uh, he's dinking and dunking and, and do whatever he can. But he's got a really quick release, and I, you know, to be honest with you, I think he's an upgrade uh, on on the quarterback from from last year. I do. I think he's a he may not be a pro prospect, but I think he's an upgrade on what Iowa State needs him to do. Uh, he can do that, and I he seems like he's smart. You know, his dad was a the, the XFL coach in St. Louis. Um, I don't Anthony for a long time, and you know, long time NFL tight end, and they always say quarterbacks and tight ends probably know the most uh, about offensive football because tight ends have to know running scheme pass blocking scheme and of course route combinations that work against coverages and so i think rocco coming into college football was much better coach than most of these high school kids i want to talk a couple of nfl quarterbacks with you jordan loves debut not his not his debut but his real debut is the man yeah green bay 
they go in and really punk Chicago, 38-20. Uh, they scored 28 points in the second half yesterday. Um, really, a, man, if you're a Bears fan, you've got to be distraught. You think Justin Fields, you, you've, you've made these, you know, what appears to be good draft picks, You, but your offensive line still isn't there. Uh, and then Jordan, so so Rodgers is gone. It's Chicago's time to make the leap, and maybe they still will. But then Jordan Love comes in and just, you know, takes a big dump in your backyard, three touchdowns. What did you think of that? Is he, is he, what are you hearing, I guess, from your NFL people on Jordan Love? Well, no one knows until you're actually playing the real games, preseason games, practices. I had heard good things that they liked him and that he was playing well. I, I think from what I saw yesterday, and I watched most of that game at some point, I had turned off because the Bears' offense is just so terrible to watch. Uh, one, one, if you're a Bears fan, I'm sorry. I grew up a Bears fan. My dad's from Chicago, and they're going to be crappy. I, I just don't see them being good. But Jordan Love played not just well. I thought he played great in that game. He played loose. Uh, I think watching Aaron, how long was he behind Aaron? For three years, maybe? Yeah, three or four years, yeah. Being behind he was on a, the Matt Wells Utah State because that was Matt's brother. Luke was a coach for Paul Rhodes. So I, I, I know those guys and followed them. I watched most of Jordan Love's college games. At Utah he, State, and that was a, and he's in 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 Matt has since been fired from Texas Tech after that, so it's got to be four years. It's yeah. been a while. He, I always thought it was a huge advantage for Aaron Rodgers that he sat behind Brett Favre for yeah. three years. Right, you see a guy who doesn't just go out and execute, but goes beyond that and is like one of the great playmakers of the quarterback position in NFL history. And then Aaron Rodgers became that of extremely accurate and, and worked within the offense. But when things weren't there, he was like this magic man of what he, so he saw that as a possibility. And I think Jordan Love saw what, what Aaron Rodgers did, both good and sometimes bad. Sometimes Aaron would try to do too much. And so I think that, you know, if you went in there and Chad Pennington, remember old Chad Pennington, and that was your starter, you wouldn't have that watching practice, watching all these games. You wouldn't be seeing the starting quarterback creating magic like Aaron did for those years. Well, Jordan Love has seen a creative, exceptional quarterback in front of him, and now he is sort of stepping into that role, and that's how he played yesterday. He was loose. He bought time in the pocket. He didn't look scared out there. Uh, he was aggressive. He, he didn't miss very many throws. I thought he played great, and I think the Green Bay Packers are going to go from Favre to Rodgers to Jordan Love, and I think Jordan Love, at least one game in, looked really good, and, and I think the Packers are going to be, in some ways, it, I can't say it's an upgrade, but there's going to be way less focus on the quarterback and way more focus on the entire team. And I think a lot of times, uh, there, there, there comes, sometimes there's a burden to having a you know first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback, especially a guy who is a bit controversial off yeah. the field and is a bit of a distraction sometimes. And they've gotten rid of all that, and now they're just out there playing. And I, I thought Jordan Love played great. I, I, there's a couple quarterbacks that played great in Week One. Jordan Love was one of them. Tua down in Miami, actually, I should say out in Los Angeles, that is where they the Dolphins played. He played great yesterday, probably the best performance uh, of his career. Um, so I, you know, these, the, 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 league has got definitely a plenty of young, good young quarterbacks. And I think Jordan Love's going to be a good one. I love the NFL now. And it's just so much more modern than even that it was like, God, it, you, what the offenses since you've played, it's like archaic, honestly, like it's just so much more like big 12, 15 years ago. It's just funny how this game shifts. Cause that used to be. Um, not manly or you know like wussy football when you would do that, and now you just the the league's just so much more entertaining for me. I've because I've always been a big college guy, and I'll, and that'll never change. But I I enjoy the NFL product so much more now over because I used to just watch the Vikings, and I could just sit and I I can't really do it because of work. But NFL Sunday, there's nothing like it now. I just I love the game now. I love the way everything has evolved. What what I have noticed uh, watching, of course, we haven't talked about Purdy yet, but watching yeah, we'll San Francisco, and, and I, you know, I tend to watch the teams where I know the 
coordinator or the head coach. So I'm yeah. watching San Francisco. I watch Green Bay. I watch Miami. You know, sometimes the Rams. Those four guys are how I see football. But what they're doing and how the game has changed and dramatically changed from the early 2000s. I mean, it's not you're right. It's like not even the same sport as the early 2000s. A lot of these old NFL offenses and it's changed a lot. But what fascinates it to me about those guys, McDaniel, Shanahan, LaFleur, McVeigh, the basic fundamentals of what they do is still the exact same things that we were doing in 2008 in with the Houston Texans. Now they have mm-hmm. jazzed them up and they have created better uh, uh, creativity with motions. Um, and of course the jet sweep motions that go across the formations and cause some confusion and, and RPOs are a much bigger thing now than they ever were before. But the basic fundamentals are still there. The way they use their tight ends, the way they use their splits by the receivers and tight splits to, you know, you put a receiver in a tight split, he can still sort of run a widened out route. He can want to run a widened go route, a widened curl route, but he also can run corner routes from that spot. He also can go across the field and run shell crossing routes and deep crossing routes. And you can run down the middle. The whole field opens up. And traditionally, when I got in the NFL is you had sort of outside receivers and you had slot receivers. Yeah, you had a slot receiver and a tight end and you had two outside receivers. And when you're out by the numbers, you can't get to the other side of the field. So these fundamentals that we, we I think we were one of the, the first ones to really get good at it, was put these guys in all these tight splits and stack splits. And it really caused a lot of problems uh, for the defense. You get these like natural picks where you don't want, you know, the, the defensive backs are in man to man and they're sort of over the two guys in the stack and how they're going to play it and how it's going to unfold and how you can take advantage uh, of their techniques and cause guys to get sort of, uh, you know, rubbed and, and not be able to uh, chase their guys where they're trying to run through b- both their own defensive back and the other wide receiver. And meanwhile, their guy is run a shallow crossing route and they're behind. Uh, the, the, all those same things are still there. And that's what's fun for me is that I'm I'm seeing the foundation <clears throat> that was there in 2006, 7, and 8 with Kubiak and Shanahan and those guys in Houston. But I'm seeing, of course, a much more advanced version. But at the end of the day, it's like the fundamentals are still there. So it's still very easy for me to see how these plays unfold. What I love about it is you're talking to a Hal Mummy, Mike Leach disciple, okay? Like, those are my guys. And they have been forever. It, it wasn't since Leach got on Twitter and started making funny comments at press <clears throat> conferences. Like, And I just remember so much, you know, during when, when Leach in his final years at Texas Tech when they were really good, you know, Michael Crabtree and, and the Cliff Kingsbury and those types of years and just – uh, when him and Gundy were really rolling and Bryles was at Baylor and just the national media and, like, Sabins of the world just hated it. You know, yeah. these guys are ruining football. And and now it's not the same. Like, the NFL's not running the same thing. But you look around at the guys who are playing quarterback now in the NFL, you know, from Baker Mayfield to Brock Purdy to even Kenny Pickett to, you know, Bryce Young to whoever. I mean, there's a million of them. They wouldn't have even sniffed the league 15 years ago. And they make the they make it better. That that it's a better product because and it goes back to my guys Leach and Mummy and even to a point Dana Holgerson and you're right, like those those purest air raid guys, they're not running air raid. You know, the 49ers aren't running that, but man, I'd love to sit down with your guy Kyle Shanahan sometime and you know, who are your influences and stuff like that and have that conversation because you just see pieces of it. And I it just it my my smile lights up like a Christmas tree when I turn on the NFL and I see that shit. I love it. When I first got in the league, <clears throat> Marty Schottenheimer, Washington pre commanders, that was the you know, our name. Oh yeah. Um our offensive coordinator, you know, Brian Schottenheimer, who's the Dallas offensive coordinator now, uh, he was a quarterback coach. He was twenty six, his first real job. He'd been coaching some college before that. Um, our offensive coordinator had come from the Kansas City Chiefs as their running backs coach. We were running the same plays <clears throat> as Joe Montana ran in the early 90s when he went from San Francisco to Kansas City. 
the West Coast offense during that time, which had over half the league running these plays, in a sense, it was like the Bible. It was like, this yeah. is what it is. Don't question it. These plays work. This is the depth. This Bill is Walsh, the, baby. This, yeah, Godfather. it was just, and, it, and, if, and if you were a coach and you went outside that, it was like, oh, be careful. You're like breaking of the tradition of Bill Walsh and this set in stone. This is how offense works. What I love about this crew of younger coaches is when they were in Washington, and that, I don't know if you listened to that podcast. You should listen to the uh, Jordan Rodriguez podcast if you haven't already. Okay. Uh, and and she interviews all these coaches, including Robert Sala, who was also he's a defensive coach, but he was on that staff, and I was in Houston as well as quality control. He interviews all these guys and talk about you know from Houston to Washington and beyond. And when these guys were in Washington, they decided well, why not? Why don't we just try this play? This makes sense. Like if, if you can explain it to Kyle, who was the OC for his dad, Mike, if you could explain it and made sense, let's just do it, even though no one's ever done that before. And so there's an aspect of, we all know, uh, old minds and young minds. And a lot of times old minds go, why I've, I've, this has worked for, for me for two decades. And so why would I, I don't want to change that up because it it's worked for me. I'm the head coach. I've had success. Uh, I don't want to mess with that. And then young minds are always, it's just like natural. Young minds are like, well, why do we do it this way? Yeah. This doesn't make sense. Why could, why, why could we do yeah. it this way, but also maybe just change it up a little bit and change the split and still do the same thing. And young minds just naturally have this questioning of authority, questioning of the West Coast Bible of like, yeah. why do we have to do it that way? And why couldn't we do it this way or just change it up and make it simpler and that's what we've seen now with the NFL over the last 10 years. And it has made the, the game much more exciting, uh, much more fun. And there's more variables out there. And it, I think it creates for a much better product. And you're seeing with the quarterbacks, you see a guy like Tua really struggle. New offense comes in and all of a sudden Tua is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, he led the NFL in pass rating for either the entire year last year or almost the entire year. And before that, people were thinking like, eh, maybe Tua is not going to be what we all thought he was going to be. Daniel so I, I, last yeah, year. yeah, yeah. So the, the, um, I, I think the, the, those guys have really changed the entire game. And of course, now what you're seeing is coaches who have coached underneath them starting to move around and they're starting, you know, Arthur Smith in Atlanta and, and they're starting to become head coaches or offensive coordinators in other places because it's like, man, these guys must have the secret sauce because nearly every single quarterback that plays in their offenses has the best years of their career. I mean, you see Brock Purdy go into San Francisco as a, you know, last pick of the draft rookie and excel. And now he looks like a, you know, pro bowl quarterback. He looks like a MVP candidate through week one. I mean, Brock's just playing great. And so it, they must be complex in one way, but simple enough for a under for a, you know, last pick of the draft rookie to pick up, in, in, in four or five months and, and excel out there in the National Football League, there must be a simplicity to it. And that simplicity is what I, again, when I still watch these games, I still see that the basic foundation of it from, from what I saw in 2007, 2008. You got to get somewhere. One last thing I wanted to hit you on is Purdy. 19 to 29, two touchdowns. They kill Pittsburgh. Kill them. Um, game was never even close. It, so Purdy is just, he continues to, prove these doubters wrong you know because last year it was like well he's just distributing the football he's got the best roster in the nfl um it how much of it is that still sage and how much of it like i, I guess like he's not there yet but what let's say brock's in a contract situation like where would he be right now because i how much of it is him right and how much of it is shanahan and the fact that you have Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and right. Like I, cause I, I, they made a big move. They traded Trey Lance who they made a huge move to go up and get, they clearly love this guy. Where, where are you at on Purdy right now? I, I think he's uh already a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. I do. Um, I give you credit too. I remember you texting me. It was at one point, where Iowa State fans were kind of starting to get on him towards the end. And 
you I don't remember exactly what point it was and you were like this is madness Brock Purdy's the best quarterback that's ever come through I like he's he's doing things out there like and you you saw it as like his junior year I saw it almost right away I was like man this kid is one is incredibly gutsy it's hard yeah. to go out there as like a, a freshman you know and uh again that offense similar to what the current offense is asked a lot of the quarterback a lot of throws a lot of tough throws a lot of holding on to the ball, waiting for these things uh, to develop. You know, uh, the, the opposite offense likes these crossing routes and things. And so you got to hold on to the ball for those. And I just saw out of Brock, I saw impressive accuracy. I saw that. I saw anticipation where he'd throw a ball when a guy was covered. But as the guy ran through the zone, bam, it's, it's right there in between the two linebackers. So I saw accuracy. I saw anticipation. And, of course, the playmaking ability. And in the NFL, it's it's hard to have all those things. Usually accurate quarterbacks like a Drew Brees, they're not playmakers, right? They, they are very much in the structure of the offense. But he had this playmaking ability. He also had like an incredible amount of guts. Like he just has just no fear. And that's hard. I was scared shitless like my entire career to like screw up. And he just does not have that. Uh, fear of of failure and sometimes that gets him in trouble but for the most part that that frees him to go out there and let his natural skills go and he's a, an exceptional athlete we all know and, and his playmaking ability is incredible but he does he just doesn't miss very many throws and usually if when you watch their games the ball is hitting the receivers right in the face mask they're, they're not all over the place and so he's accurate he's a playmaker he's got confidence and he's probably has the best offensive mind in the entire world, uh, designing and calling yeah. plays. And, co- and, and by the way, Brian Greasy, who played for Mike Shanahan, is his quarterback's coach. And Brian's one of the smartest guys. I I, I think it's probably the probably the top five smartest guys I played in the NFL with. You know, he was like a political science major at Michigan, super smart in, in like John Gruden's offense and, of course, Mike Shanahan's offense. So he's got all those sort of – it's the perfect place for him – but he's still making those plays and he's still scrambling out of the pocket when there's an unblocked defender and, and making things happen and making great throws. I mean, yeah, I think he's already put himself in the top half league. I, I listen, I know you're a Vikings fan, but right now, if you could have Kirk Cousins, who's making 35 or $40 million a year, Brock Purdy, you'd rather have Brock Purdy. I, Kirk does a great job of when guys are open, he hits them. Uh, when when the things are on schedule, he does a nice job running the offense and 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 sort of playing that game. But as far as playmaker, not a, he's got zero playmaker in him. So watching a 49ers game is uh, much more exciting, much more fun. And so well, I, you know, it's, contracts are so far away. You know, it's about a five year yeah, window for those for I those guess, rookies. I guess my and he has a lot is, to prove. Is, but yeah. I'd put him in the top half of the league as far as I'd rather have. I mean, obviously San Francisco would rather have him than. Trey Lance or, or Jimmy Garoppolo and, and, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is starting uh, for, for the Raiders yeah. and had a big win yesterday and he's not a terrible quarterback. And so, yeah, I, I think that Brock's already in the, the top half of the league. Gives me a little bit of hope for the Vikings for real, because I, I think O'Connell's pretty sharp. Uh, the, the Vikings new head coach. And, and, and who he, who'd he learn coach? Who did he learn his offense? From? Exactly. Sean McVay of the LA yeah. Rams. Right. So, so like my, my theory is here is like if you let Cousins go, you know that you could get a maybe this third round pick from BYU or whatever. Like guys like Brock, when when you have these really good coaches, I don't know. Jalen Hurts, look at him and the Eagles right now, right? Like we had we had left him for dead when he was still in college. After yeah. Tua, you know, comes up there and we're like, oh, that's the career of Hurts, and he gets put in the right spot, and you know, like it, it gives me. A little bit of hope, and and I and I I do think this this new era in the NFL, in a crazy way, I think it'll devalue the quarterback position. Hear me out. Mm. I think it it you for the longest time it was you have to have that guy. You know, you're trading up, you're trading your whole draft to go up and get a guy. I think now, okay, so you've got Burrow, you've got uh, you know, you've got these elite guys, Mahomes. And you're, those guys are still invaluable. But after that, like, I mean, swap out Dak Prescott for Brock Purdy, swap, right? Like, I, who cares if it's the right yeah, – and I think about, these rosters about, are more important now. I would rather pay my quarterback $10 million 
and and have that twenty five to spread on my offensive line and, and get a better get more receivers. It, it gives me hope as a Vikings fan. When I first started writing, uh, after I got done playing, I wrote an article about like changing the business model of the NFL. And at the time, it was uh, both Kaepernick and Russell Wilson were on their rookie contracts. They weren't drafted high. They were extremely cheap, and their teams were having a ton of success. And they were, of course, the teams both were spending shit tons of money on defense and other aspects of the team. And so you have these like loaded rot. I mean, right now, the San Francisco has a even have to get rid of Trey Lance and his, you know, take some part of the cap hit of that. They've got a loaded roster. You've just got yeah. more money other places. And then as you said, unless you have maybe six, one of the top five to 10 guys, what's the point in paying them $45 million a year? If you think that you're, you're there's more replaceable uh, players, maybe post, you know, the top 10 quarterbacks in the league and um it just whether a team is sort of has the guts to let uh you know and say in a couple of years San Francisco has enough guts to say okay Brock I know you've done great for us the last three or four years but we're gonna let you go and go with another rookie rather than paying you 50 million dollars a year but you know so you again you you can load up your roster if you don't uh if you don't pay your quarterback and so that you've seen that a lot of teams have success without a huge contract by the rookie. I mean, Jared Goff was in the Super Bowl on a rookie contract. Even though he's a first pick, it was like $8 million a year, not, you know, $45 million a year. And so um, I guess we'll see. Uh, but so far, so great for Brock. Uh, super happy awesome. for him. Um, hope he can keep it up. He does have a great roster. He does, does, does a great, great play caller. I mean, you asked me about, well, he's got all these great pieces around him. Well, Peyton Manning had Marvin Harris, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, like, you know, uh, you got to uh, distribute Hall, the football hall of fame, running back Edron James. Right. So he had basically three hall of famers around him and, and Dallas Clark was a really, really good pass catching tight end. So he had great talent as well. And then he made the most of him Brock's make, making the most I mean, of his opportunity. I'd say the key to quarterbacking that 49ers right now is his accuracy. And there's not many guys more accurate than Brock Purdy. I mean, he's a distributor, nothing he more. He's so, a distributor. He is so accurate. He's so comfortable the way he throws. Uh, and again, he's, he, he anticipates. He, he doesn't have a big arm. And so when you don't have a big arm, you have to be um, a better anticipator. And he was a great anticipator in college. And I think that has paid big dividends as he's gotten the National Football League. And last thing, you know, getting named captain as a Mr. Irrelevant a year ago, that was, I wouldn't say shocking because I know Brock really well. And I, I know, but th that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. I mean, we have an Iowa State quarterback who's a captain of the be probably the best team in the national. Football. They are the odds-on Vegas favorite to win the Super Bowl now. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a huge deal. But I think it's a testament not to only how he played, but I think it's just how he carries himself. And we saw Brock at Iowa State as a sort of a total pro. Uh, after good or bad games, he was a pro in his press conferences and always said the right things. But I think the 49ers, you know, the NFL is a sort of a different beast. You're dealing with grown men up there who are making anywhere from at the minimum, basically a million bucks up to $50 million now annually. And so you're just dealing with a whole different beast up there. And I think the, the entire team and the coaching staff has just seen the maturity uh, from day one from, and, and the seriousness of the way Brock probably prepares and the way he holds himself and the way he talks to people and just sort of the way he is uh, you want those types of guys on your football team and especially the quarterback position. So it says a lot about him. It says a lot about his parents, uh, about how they raised him uh, to, to be in this position. And I, I think it's sort of cool for Kyle Shanahan for, to, to name a guy captain who is still a little bit unproven. I mean, it is six, seven games, eight games last year. Uh, and to name him captain sort of shows that, you know, Brock started earning that captain C on his, on his chest probably from the very first day he showed up there after being drafted, uh, you know, last spring, a year and a half ago. Incredible cool. stuff. Uh, this was fun, man. I know you got, you got an engagement to, to get to, so get out of here and we'll do this again. If you, if you're willing, let's do it again. And I'm going to, I'm going to get my, uh, my pod going again as well. So if you ever need help, season. I'll, All right. I'll, I'll, I'll jump on and help you interview cool people. I Sweet. love that. <laughs> Everything to do. So whatever. Right. Thank sounds, you, brother. Get out of here. Sounds Sounds good, Chris. That's All right, it. Sage Rosenfels, uh, my man, brilliant football mind.
Love talking to him, learning from him. We thank our great sponsor, Steeple Ridge Bourbon. Get out to a liquor store and pick up some of that. They are it. I'm, I always tell people that if you want to start, get the white label and then graduate onto the black label. And then there's also a red label on top of it. The white label is as easy and smooth of drinking whiskey as you'll find. It's phenomenal. Really great Iowans over there in Erling, Iowa at the uh, Lonely Oak Distillery. All right. I uh, hope you enjoyed today's CW Pod with Sage Rosenfels. Brilliant football mind. Love being able to catch up with him on all things football. I'll be back next week. Have a great rest of your week here on Iowa Everywhere. Iowa Everywhere.